From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Awesome. Well, happy Thanksgiving. How many of you are planning on having some sort of Thanksgiving dinner? Raise your hand. Thanksgiving dinner. How many of you guys are anti-Thanksgiving dinner? You're afraid to raise your hand. If that's you, we can pray for you at the, the front here after the service. Because there's something about Thanksgiving dinner that's just amazing, am I right? When I was, when I was a kid, I didn't think much about Thanksgiving other than the fact that the roast dinner we typically had on Sunday morning. How many of you guys have, or Sunday morning, we have roast dinner Sunday morning in my house. Um, how many of you guys have roasts on Sundays? That's, maybe that's like an old traditional thing, right? Well, we grew up having roasts on Sunday, but Thanksgiving, our roast was replaced with a turkey. And then we got an extra day off of school, so that, made, that was Thanksgiving for me. I didn't think much about it, but I love Thanksgiving dinners. I, I love Thanksgiving dinners. Jody made us a beautiful, and she's a vegetarian, made us a beautiful roast dinner yesterday for us and his family, and it was fantastic. I love Thanksgiving dinners. Turkey's amazing, unless it's dry, and then you have to drown it in gravy, right? It's one of those awkward foods, right, that it can be amazing or terrible, um, but covered in gravy, everything's usually good. Gravy's a good, just like, make everything best, right? Mashed or roasted potatoes, or a combination of both. You know you're getting, you're getting into it when you do both, roasted and mashed potatoes, love it. There are some things, though, I think on a, on a Thanksgiving dinner plate that shouldn't be there. This is my opinion. You can disagree with me. This is my opinion. My mom would put, and we still do this, and I've learned to love them a little bit, is carrots. I'm not a big carrot guy. Unless, again, you drizzle it in gravy, then it's, then it's a little bit of heaven. <laughs> Learn to love it. But there's some other stuff like Brussels sprouts, like, I'm just not even going to go there. Like, that's just, that's just wrong, you know, Brussels sprouts. There was this one food that would, that would turn up, no pun intended, <laughs> on Thanksgiving dinner, and that was the turnip, and I don't really know what a turnip is. Yes, I do. I just don't think it should be on a Thanksgiving plate. I only turn up for Jesus. I only turn up for Jesus, just saying. But I love, I love Thanksgiving dinner. I... There are some things, though, I learned as I, as I grew, as I got married, and I started to participate in other people's Thanksgiving traditions and, and dinners, that, re, that there are foods that other people put in there that are just like, you know, Brussels sprouts and turnips are one thing, but these foods, I'm just like, these should not even be close. Like, ca- casseroles don't make sense to me. Just, just saying, casseroles don't make sense to me, but these ones especially, cranberry sauce, that just ruins the gravy. You can't mix cranberry sauce and gravy, and... <laughs> Jello, Jello. Who puts Jello with their, you know, near like Jello? Oh, that's just Jello is really good, but with see, here's my problem: is I put gravy on everything, (laughs) right? So, so I just well on everything on the Thanksgiving dinner. If gravy's not present, I don't know if it's Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving's an interesting holiday though, because Thanksgiving, like a lot of holidays, we tend to put more attention on the food than actually what the meaning of the holiday is, right? And, and I love food, don't get me wrong, and there's something about food that brings people together. God is a foodie. If you look throughout the scriptures, you see most of the celebrations and feasts actually center around food. In the end times, the Bible says that there's, there's a giant feast, and you know it's going to be good because God is cooking. So there's something about food that brings people together that is good, but we tend to, tend to forget what Thanksgiving is all about. 
Thanksgiving was a time that you were supposed to pause and be thankful for the harvest. And the harvest was the time that you would reap all that you had sowed and worked for. And you'd be thankful for what you, for what you received. And, and the tradition is still today. We're supposed to pause and be thankful. Not pause and be thankful for a short time and then eat a lot of food and then celebrate with family. But pause and be thankful. I wonder if we've done that. How many of you guys are thankful this morning? How many of you guys are thankful? Somebody tell me what you're thankful for. Shout it out. Tell me what you're thankful for this morning. Love. Family. Second chances. Food. Grandchildren. Friends. Church. Family. Health. Salvation. Come on, we're going to go there. Anybody else? What are you thankful for? Gravy. Amen. Thankful for gravy. Listen, if we could put gravy on everything, no, I'm just kidding. If, if we could take a moment every day, not just on Thanksgiving, not just before you pray, before you eat your Thanksgiving meal, but if you could take a moment every day and be thankful, as, as the old song for some of you, remember it, Count Your Blessings, if you could just be thankful then, then the, the culture, the atmosphere, the, the countenance, the mood of your days would change drastically. And some of us have a hard time because we focus so much on, on what we don't have that we, we tend, if we could just shift our focus a little bit on what we do have. You know what I'm most thankful for, and this may sound um, like a thing to say in church, but it, it, it's not. I'm most thankful for Jesus. I'm most thankful for Jesus because when I think about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, regardless of what I have or don't have, it just seems like I have everything. It seems like I have everything because the Son of God, the image of the invisible God, the Savior, the beginning, the end, the creator of all things, the sustainer of life knows my name and he cares for me. And the Bible says that he died on the cross to save me so that I could be with him forever. And re even, even when it doesn't feel like it, he is with me and never leaves me or forsakes me. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for when I, when, I, when I look around and I start to get in my flesh and I start to compare to what people have and what I don't have and what I wish I had, I can pause and, and be thankful that I have the one person who is all things. The Bible says this in Colossians. It says, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the key. He's the key. How many, has anybody ever done an escape room before? You ever heard of an escape room? Basically, an escape room is, is where you get locked in a room for a certain period of time, and you have to solve um, many puzzles and riddles in order to escape the room. And I was part of this escape room with, uh, with a team, and, and basically it was a long rectangular room, and half the room was a, was a jail cell, and, and dividing the room was the jail bars, and the other half of the room was, a, was the guard office, right? It was kind of set up like, like a jail. And there were six of us, and five of us were handcuffed to the jail cell bars, and one person had to scour the jail cell everywhere and every, anywhere for the key and in order to, to unlock us so that we could all together solve and escape the room. The problem was that there was a time limit of 50 minutes, and if, if that person didn't unlock us, then we didn't have time to solve the room. So, so pressure was on, and I remember all of us being locked and chained up, being super anxious, right? We're like, come on, over there, check there, check here, over here, under there, behind that. And, and this person, this guy was a guy, his name was Mike, and he's, he's searching frantically for this key, and I remember when he found it, the relief we found, felt. 
the pressure was lifted, the weight was off, he starts to uncuff us, and then together we could solve the room. You know, sometimes in life, we tend to lose sight of the key. And we tend to go through life as if we're handcuffed. handcuffed. We, tend to, we tend to do life, and we tend to do church, and we tend to worship, and we tend to give, and we tend to live handcuffed. But if I think, I think that if we can shift our focus onto Jesus and begin to understand who he is and what he's done for us, then we begin to live life free. Even when it feels like we have little. Even when it seems like that maybe we're handcuffed in life. We begin to live free. Jesus said this, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, to the max potential. That's not just eternity, that's now, people. That's now. So we're in this series called Back to School, and uh, we're in the, this is the second last one of this series. We're looking at what we believe as Orthodox Christians and as a local church, and we've looked at the Trinity, the Bible, the church, the Holy Spirit, humanity, And today we're going to look at Jesus because what we believe about Jesus will not only shape our lives, but it will shape our eternity. What we believe about Jesus will shape your life and it will shape your eternity. Now, I was thinking as I was preparing this, if you gloss over this and you kind of just be like, another message on Jesus. I know this. I've heard this before. For maybe for those who don't know, this is good. But I'm just going to sink back a little bit and relax and maybe, maybe let my eyes glaze over a little bit and maybe take a little snooze. If that's you today, I think this is more for you than anyone. Because you've, you've shifted your focus off of the object of your faith. It's all about Jesus, people. It's all about Jesus. And just so you know, I try as much as possible to tie Jesus into everything because it's all about him. So we will talk about Jesus in this church. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the key. So who is Jesus? And more importantly today, who is Jesus to you? You're like, this is a different Thanksgiving message. Well, it just kind of worked out today, which I think is fantastic. I'm thankful. Who is Jesus to you? So Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 18. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's going to be up on the screen, I think, for us as well. So here's what it says. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus was traveling with his disciples, and they were doing ministry, and they are teaching, and he's healing, and, and doing amazing things. And he comes to this region of Caesarea Philippi, and they stop, and he pauses, and he asked them this question, who, who do people say I am? What are people saying about me? What are you hearing? When you're talking with your, your friends and, and your neighbors, when you're in the marketplace, what are people saying about me? Who do they say the son of man is? The son of man was a term Jesus used to describe himself, which was actually found in the book of Daniel as a, in a vision, as a, as, a, as a prophecy to the Messiah. Who do, who do they say I am? And everyone had opinions. Some were saying one thing, others were saying another thing. Lots of different opinions. In our world today, lots of people have opinions about Jesus. If you do a Google search, you'll, you'll come across. You'll find YouTube videos of people who have interviewed people. Who do people think Jesus is? Some think he's just an, a nice historical figure. 
right? He's just a man who lived long ago. He maybe had a, a beard, depending on the, the picture that you saw of him, would depend on what you think he looks like. Maybe he looked Swedish, right? Maybe, maybe he looked white. Maybe he looked Middle Eastern. He's just a, he was just a guy. He was just a guy who lived a long, long time ago. Some think that, that he was just a prophet sent by God to deliver God's message. He was a man, but just a prophet. That, Muslims believe that. They believe in Jesus, actually have a high, very high view of Jesus. Some people think that he's a philosopher, like Gandhi, or a moralist, right? A great moral teacher. He was a really good teacher. I don't know about God, but he was a really good teacher, kind of like that Gandhi guy. Some think that he's a religious revolutionist. Some say he's a myth. He's just a made-up story to make people feel better about their problems. Today, in our society, in, in the generation that's coming up, some people don't even know who he is. You say the word Jesus, and they, don't, they think you're talking about some Spanish guy. Jesus? Excuse me? They don't know. They don't know. Who do people say I am, he asked the disciples, and they're like, all sorts. Man, some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah, prophet. Some think Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And these are all very honorable opinions. There was lots of opinions, and most of them were respectable. I would love to be compared to some of these guys. Someone's like, man, you were like Elijah. I'd be like, yes, sweet. They're all very high opinions, very respectable opinions. Today, many people have a high view of Jesus. They may not like Christians. They may not like the church, but they usually have a pretty high view of Jesus if they know about Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus. I've got respect for Jesus. But it's possible for people to have good opinions about Jesus, but not the right ones. It's possible to have good opinions about Christ, but not the right opinions. It's possible to have a high opinion about him, but not high enough. It's possible to think very highly of Jesus, but just thinking highly of Jesus doesn't do anything to transform your life or shift or change your eternal destination. Opinions do not save. Opinions will shape your life, but opinions do not save. I believe that, uh, I believe many people will stand before Jesus at the end of times. When Jesus comes back, just so you know, he's coming back. When he comes back and he ushers in eternity, I think a lot of people will stand before Jesus and be surprised. They'll be like, you had a very high opinion about me. Oh, yeah, you had a very high opinion. It wasn't high enough. It wasn't high enough. They're saying good things. These people are saying good things. The disciples had heard it. Man, they're saying all sorts of good stuff. Yeah, there's those Pharisees. They're saying some bad stuff. They're not liking what's happening. But there's a lot of people, man, they're, they're comparing you to Jeremiah. Good things, but they're false things. They're false things. And so he says to them, he's like, what do you say? What do you say? Who do you say I am? So they were, they were privy to insider information, right? They're part of Jesus' inner circle. When you're part of, of the inside, when you have greater knowledge, you, you, should, have a clearer, you should have a clearer picture of, of the things of God. And I think this is where Jesus was getting at in this conversation. He, he wasn't so much concerned about what people thought. He was compared, compared to what, what they thought. I'm not concerned about what others say about me, but, but what do you say? Who do you say I am? I don't care about pop culture or media or politics. Your boss, your coworker, your neighbors, your friends. I don't care what they think. I care about what you, the individual, thinks. Who do you say I am? What, what do you think? See, what we think about Jesus matters. What we think about Jesus matters. It matters because there is a serious problem plaguing humanity that Jesus claims to have the only solution. There's a serious problem plaguing humanity that Jesus claims that he has the only answer 
there's a problem. You're broken. You're broken. You're a failure. Well, this is not very nice. You've missed the mark. You've fallen short. You're not good enough. Pastor, that's not very kind. I just want to be truthful. That's what the Bible says. Look around our world. Look around the world. Evil, pain, violence, suffering, brokenness, selfishness, greed, pride. They exist. They run free, and they've impacted every single living thing. The Bible has a word for it. It's called sin. Missing the mark. Missing God's standard. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. And the Bible says it all began with the first man, Adam. Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden, which was a beautiful place, a very beautiful place. And, and he had one, one rule. You can eat from any tree, any tree you see, anything you see you can eat, take pleasure and enjoy it. I imagine there's all sorts grown on trees, like steaks, fully cooked, medium rare, ready to go. Yes, Brussels sprouts were not in the Garden of Eden. But there was a tree that dripped gravy and you could just... He, he was given permission to eat from any tree in the garden except for one because if he did, he would die. He would surely die. And Adam didn't listen. Adam missed the mark. He disobeyed. He fell short of God's standard. And that not only brought physical death to him and his descendants, but it brought spiritual death, separation from God to him and all his descendants. And this was passed on to, to us. Uh, we talked about this a few, uh, a few weeks ago. Pastor Mitch talked about this, that we were born with this sinful nature. We're created in the image of God, but we have a, a tendency towards sin. We have a tendency get, to give in to temptation. Isaiah said, or sorry, Paul said this in Romans. He says, there is no one righteous. No one is good. But what about my friend, you know, Billy Bob? I don't know where I got Billy Bob from. He's a really good guy. The Bible says no one is righteous. No one is good. And here's the kicker. In our flawed thinking, I'm not saying, though, there's some really nice people. You know, there's a level of goodness. But in our flawed thinking, we think that our good enough is good enough for God. We think that our good enough pleases a perfect God. Isaiah said this. He says, our righteousness, our righteousness, this is a hard one. Our righteousness, our goodness is like filthy rags to God. Now, if you look at the original language, and maybe this is a little weird to say in church, that's menstrual pads he's talking about. Used women hygiene products is like your goodness to God. Right? Ouch. It matters what we think about Jesus because we are broken, and the Bible says that Jesus is the only answer. Can I just tell you that we're not good enough for a perfect God, but the perfect God says, I love you so much, and I care about the brokenness that I'm going to send my only son to die for you to make a way. That's the God we serve. We don't serve the God that says, you're not good enough. Stay away from me. He says, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to make a way because I love you that much. I care about the problem that much. They're going to send Jesus to die. It matters what we think about Jesus because Jesus made some pretty bold claims that if true, and we believe them true, to be true, have present and eternal ramifications, not only for you, me, for everybody. He says this, he claimed to be the only source of full life today. He claimed to be greater than water and bread that offers only true satisfaction. He claimed to be the healer of sickness and disease. Come on. He claimed to be the door to life after death, the only way to heaven. He claimed to be God. Pretty bold claims, claims that confront our way of life, claims that, that, that cause us to think you can't get to heaven without Jesus according to what Jesus said. Now, you can't think Jesus is a great moral teacher and believe something like that 
or not believe something like that? Because he can't be a great moral teacher and then claim to be God and not be God because then he's just crazy. You're crazy. Or he's a liar or he's exactly who he says he is. He can't be a really nice moral teacher or a really nice you know, philosopher like Gandhi and then say the things he said without, being either, without it being true or without him being a liar or a lunatic. C.S. Lewis said that. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. He can't be any, he can't be a combination. Well, I like this stuff about Jesus, but this stuff, I don't know. This stuff's really good. He's a really nice guy. Really? Because if I went around saying the things Jesus said, but then I went around saying that I'm God, you'd be like, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. What we believe about Jesus matters because if what he said is true and we believe it is, the implications for us and what we believe about him are most important. So very simple. What do we believe about Jesus? What do we believe? What do we believe as a church? Here's, here's just very simply. What does the Bible teach and what we believe as a church? Number one is Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Number two, Jesus is fully equal, existing eternally with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus is the full revelation of God the Father, the image of the invisible God. He is God in flesh. Jesus lived a sinless human life and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. Jesus died on the cross, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, as a substitution sacrifice. He took our sin, and we get his righteousness. He took our brokenness, our failure, our missing of the mark, and we get his righteousness. So, so yeah, there's a problem, but Jesus says, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to give you what I got. Come on. Jesus ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of God right now, acting as our high priest and mediator before the Father. Jesus arose from the dead after three days to demonstrate his power over sin. Jesus will return again to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, bringing about eternity. Jesus is the key, and so he asks his disciples, I hear what everyone else is saying, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? I asked, uh, I asked my boys this question. I'm like, who is Jesus? And and the answers are really funny because Joshua, a little three-year-old, looks at me like he doesn't want to get the answer wrong. Uh, he's God? <laughs> Just a little kind of like closing one eye. I'm not sure if I'm right. But... And then Eli looks at me like I've answered, asked this question a hundred times. He goes, it's God, Daddy. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. But he was a man. He was born a baby. He did baby things. Think about that. God needed his diapers changed. He grew up, the Bible says. We have one picture, one instance in the scriptures of when Jesus was a boy, 12 years old. He went through puberty. He gets it. He was a man, completely human. He got thirsty. He got hungry. He got tired. He got sad. He cried over a dead loved one. He had all the characteristics of being human, and yet the Bible says that he never committed a sin. Never, ever, once, never, never happened. He was flawless. He even challenged the crowds at one time and said, can any of you find me guilty of sin? Can anyone prove me guilty of sin? And nobody spoke up. I bet you they're racking their brains, especially the brother of Jesus. Like, man, I remember him growing up. Like, what, what did he do? He was flawless. All of us are broken and sinners. But Jesus was tempted in every way and never sinned. He, had, he was tempted every way that you've been tempted, the Bible says, and never gave in. You know what that means? You know what that means, church? It means he gets it. He gets the struggle. The struggle is real, and Jesus gets the struggle. Because he was tempted the way you've been tempted, but he never gave in the way we give in. 
says, I get it. I get it. I get how hard it is. I've been there. Jesus has been there. I've been in your shoes. I've walked that walk. But he never gave in. Because while Jesus was, was a man, he was more. He was, is the unique only son of God. He is preexistent. The Bible says that the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. If you're here and you're like, well, well, that's great what the Bible says, you should listen to our message a few weeks ago about the Bible, the validity of the Bible, the reliability of the Bible. He said, before Abraham was, I am, meaning I am an eternal existence. Before Jesus was born, he existed. He existed with God. He is God. He wasn't just a great moral teacher, a great philosopher, a great historical figure. He was God, and he did things and accomplished things only God can do. He healed people. And he didn't just pray earnestly and persistently at prayer meetings for people, hoping that they would get healed. He touched people and they were healed. He calmed storms by speaking. He walked on water. I've tried it. It doesn't work. He walked on water. He multiplied food. I wish I could do that with Thanksgiving. And then multiply my less of satisfaction because I hate getting full. Don't you hate getting full at Thanksgiving? Like, I want more, but I can't because it's gluttony and that's a sin. Throwing it out there. He forgave sins. Jesus forgave sins and actually got him in trouble with a lot of the religious teachers. Like, who are you? You can't forgive sins. Only God can. And he's like, well. And then he died and he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. He's the object and author of our faith. He's the point of our worship. He's the point of our worship. That's why we worship. He's the, the creator, the savior. He calls us friend. He's the beginning of, and the end. And he asks, who do you say I am? Now, what you say about Jesus does not change who Jesus is. You can call him what you want. You can believe what you want, but it doesn't change who he is. Who do you say I am? Many people had a pretty high view of Jesus, respectable, respectable opinions, the people believed in Jesus, but they believed the wrong things about Jesus. Many people today claim to believe in Jesus. Jim Simbola said this. He says, I can, can, I can affirm the existence of Jesus Christ all I want, but in order for it to be effective, he must come alive in, in my life in a way that even a pedophile, a prostitute, or a drug dealer can see. So many people say they believe in Jesus, but I know some creatures that believe in Jesus and shudder. They're called demons, the Bible says. So Peter pipes up, I know. I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus says, bam, and you're blessed because of it. And on that, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and as they're coming, I want to tell you this. So they're in this, uh, this region, uh, Caesarea Philippi. It was a city that was dominated by immoral activities and pagan worship throughout its history. Pagan was a word, is a word used to describe people of religious beliefs other than the main world religions, right? It was kind of like the red light district of the, of the ancient world. And there was a cave at uh, Caesarea Philippi, which scholars believe Jesus was standing near or upon or looking towards when he was asking them this, um, which to the pagan mind was the gates to the underworld. It was the gates 
of Hades, the gates of hell. And he was literally asking them near what many in this place believe to be the doorway to the unworld. He was asking, who do you say I am? Right in front of that gate. Where gods, they believed gods would come and go between worlds. They were literally standing in a place where people would knock on the doorway of hell. And all sorts of cultish, sexual prostitution were done in the name of worship to these gods in this place. Who do you say I am? Peter pipes up, and Jesus says, standing on this spot, on your belief in me as the son of the living God, the key, I will build my church on that. And the gates of Hades, this dark, evil, ungodly place like this, can't stand against it. On that belief, you will be able to stand against any and all dark threats because on that belief, I will build my church. I don't know if you thought about this, but gates are defensive structures especially in the ancient world. They were defensive structures. They, they closed people out. So Jesus says, on, on a confession made in me, the gates of hell will shudder. Because the gates of, of Hades will not prevail. These de- defensive const- uh, structures will not prevail. They'll not hold up. He's basically saying an attack is going to take place. An attack is going to take place. He didn't want them hiding from evil. He didn't want them running from darkness. He wanted to storm the gates. Who do you say I am? Because who you say I am has the ability and the power to defeat the enemy. The confession you make with your mouth has the power to make Satan shudder, to make darkness, brokenness, evil, suffering, pain, sin shudder and not prevail. On that confession, I will build my church. On that confession, the gates of Hades, literally that's where they're standing, will not prevail. You know, we will be a church. Parkway will be a church that confesses that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is the Son of the living God, that Jesus is the living God, that Jesus is God. We will be that, church. We will confess that, church. And we will do so in such a way that the gates of Hades in this region, that's trying to work against people in this region, will shudder. We may not see them shudder. We we may not see them kind of get a little weak in the knees. But when I say Jesus is God, the enemy that's in control of this area, he gets a little weaker. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Because a battle is happening in our world. There's a battle happening in your world. There's suffering in your world. There's pain in your world. There's hurt in your world. There's sin in your world, in your life. Who do you say he is? God's answer to all this is the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross, the answer to the problem, the key is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to everything you need, even when you think you don't need or you don't need him or he's not enough, he is what you need. You may say, well, life isn't fair, and he says, I know. I'm making it right. Do you know we're in the middle of the story? The story's not done. Some, some people will look at him and be like, well, if he's making everything right, why do we still see all this? We're in the middle of the story. The movie's not over. Credits have not rolled. It's next week. It's not happening next week. We're going to talk about it next week. We're in the middle of the story. Life isn't fair, and there is pain, and there is hurt, and there is a problem, and Jesus claims that he is the only solution, 
The Bible declares that. We believe that. Do you? Do you? See, what you believe about Jesus matters. Is he a liar? Is he a crazy man, a great moral teacher, a historical figure, a philosopher, a religious revolutionist, or is he say, is who he says he is? So Jesus says to, uh, to Peter, he says, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't believe this to be true, Peter, because somebody taught you or you heard about it, but my Father in heaven revealed it to you. Do you know I can tell you all about Jesus? I can compel you to believe. I can point to the Bible. I can t t tell you about the validity of the Bible and the reliability of scriptures, and I can do all that, but it's not me that tells you, causes you to believe in Jesus. It's the Spirit of God working in your heart. He's the one that reveals it to you. And I believe and I hope and pray that he's revealing it to people this morning. Maybe he's reminding some people this morning. You forget who I am. He's saying, I am God. You've shifted your focus off the object of your faith. You've sh shifted your wor worship off of the object of your faith. And I believe that he's reminding you this morning. Do you, do you forget? Who do you say he is? What do you believe about Jesus? Does your life reflect what you claim? The worship team's gonna, gonna lead us, and I wanna pray two prayers this morning. The first is what we call prayer of salvation. I wanna give opportunity for people who've never put their trust in Jesus to put their trust in Jesus this morning. And listen, can I just say this? You may think I do this too much. Like, man, you do these prayers too much. But I, I remember reading a story about, I think it was Dwight Moody, pastor, evangelist, lived a while ago. And he was doing this series on, on Christ and Jesus, and it was all leading to this, um, like for a week-long series every night, and it was all leading to this climax where he would, he would give an opportunity for people to put their trust in Jesus. But before he got to that day, I think the day before, the day before that, there was this Chicago fire of, I can't remember the year, but hundreds of people died. And it cut him to the core. And he says, never again will I do another message about Christ and not give people the opportunity to put their trust in Christ. So we're going to pray a prayer of salvation. If you're here today, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never confessed to Jesus Lord, and you want to do so today. I'm going to ask you in a moment to raise your hand, but I just want everybody to bow their heads. Nobody's looking around. Let's respect others in this place. If you're here today, for the very first real time, you want to make that confession that Jesus is God and Lord. If you want to acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus and you know that Jesus is the answer with nobody looking around, just raise your hand. That's that confession. Raise that hand. Nobody's looking around. Thank you. I just want to pray with you. Everyone just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, that you are God. Forgive my sin, come into my life, and change me. Transform my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says is if, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you are saved. So if you truly prayed that prayer and you believed it, you're saved. Your eternal destination is secure. Amen? That's good news. I got some next steps for you. If, 
if, if that was you, you did it for the first time, number one is let us know about it. Take the card from the, the chair in front of you. I nearly said pew, the chair in front of you, the welcome home card, and just, just let us know because we want to pray with you. We want to journey with you. We want to walk with you. Number two is, and this might be for others as well, but there's a group that happens on Monday nights that's probably perfect for you. It's not happening tomorrow night, but Monday after that called Starting Point. It's, it's, it's a great starting point for people who have just given their life to Jesus or have questions about faith. So if that's you, get to Starting Point. Number three is if you don't have a Bible, get a Bible or find somebody that can give you a Bible or talk to me or talk to one of the pastors or one of the ushers and we will get you a Bible and start reading the Bible. I suggest the book of John. It's a great place to start. If you're not reading the Bible, if you're like, I have a hard time reading the Bible, John's a great way to start or download the Bible app called YouVersion. It's free and you can listen to it. If you're like, I have a hard time reading, listen to it on your way to work, you know, on your drive home, whatever. Get the Bible in you. Second prayer I wanna pray is this. I'm gonna invite everybody to stand. I want to pray, if you believe, if you believe today that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is God, the worship team is going to lead us in a song this morning, and I want us to worship like we actually believe that to be true, right? Like when the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, I want there to be freedom, okay? That's my hope and my desire, but it's on you. But I want us to worship like that. But I want to pray before we do, I want to pray that we would be people who not only confess that Jesus is Lord, but we would live a life like Jesus is Lord. Do you know Gandhi once said, the great moral teacher once said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Because sometimes as Christians, we don't reflect Christ too well. So I want to pray that if we're confessing that Jesus is Lord, then we would live our lives as if Jesus is Lord. Amen? And then what I want us to do is I want you to come to the front. I want you to get in the aisle. I want you to do what you got to do to let Jesus know that you're thankful for him and that he's God. Amen? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just declare you to be God in this place. Holy Spirit of God, Jesus, we declare you to be the living God. You are Lord in this place. You lived a sinless life. You came to earth for our sins. You lived a sinless life, and then you died on the cross, taking, apart, taking on yourself our brokenness and our pain and our suffering and our sin, and then giving us your righteousness forgiving us so that we can live eternally with you and even have a full life today. So we declare in this place you to be God. And in the name of Jesus, help us, Spirit of God, to live every single day like that is true. To live every single day, not only declaring and confessing with our mouth, but living with our lives that you are Lord. So God, in this moment, God, we declare. But when we walk out these doors, help us to declare. And every single day this week, help us to declare. And let Thanksgiving be a, be a weekend of thanking you for who you are, what you've done for us, and then living the rest of the year being thankful and in a way that shows others that, yes, I do believe that Jesus is God, so that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will shudder and will not prevail in and around our lives in the name of Jesus. And in this moment, God, as we just lift you up in song and in worship, God, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you begin to set people more free God, more free, so that, God, we can truly declare that you are Jesus, truly declare that you are the Son of the living God, and like Peter say that you are our Messiah, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, come on, let's sing this out this morning, the sun says, thank you so much for listening, we hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus, and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, 
you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.